Hello, and welcome to Eyes on Success, a weekly program of information on the ever-changing world of accessibility. Now here are the hosts of this program, Nancy Goodman Torpy and Peter Torpy. Hello, I'm Nancy. And I'm Pete. Well, voting in public elections is the way we make our voices heard and tell our leaders what we'd like to see happen. Although the accessibility of voting has improved over the years for many blind and visually impaired people, there's still a long way to go. We'll speak with attorney Scott Labar and technical specialist Curtis Chang about their work with the National Federation for the Blind and others to improve voting access for people with visual impairments. But first for our tip of the week. This week's tips come from Scott Labar and Curtis Chang, starting with Scott. Vote early and vote often. <laughs> but only <laughs> once during each cycle, right? Oh, yeah. Minor point, minor point. I used <laughs> yeah. to live in Chicago where they took that <laughs> motto <laughs> to heart. Uh, from a technology perspective, let me say that uh, I just saw the iPhone 11 has uh, come out. And um, I would say that if a person were thinking about upgrading, that that means now all the other phones are going to come down in price. There are a lot of people going ho-hum, no big deal. Apple doesn't have much to offer. And uh, what I say is, what it means is that the older phones will be cheaper. So be optimistic. You can buy an older phone. You don't have to have the new stuff. Because all they talked about today was cameras, cameras and more cameras. Not interested. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. Except there are some really nifty accessibility apps that make use of the camera to give access to printed material. So you need a halfway decent camera on there. That is correct. And I found it interesting, by the way, that Apple claimed that the 11s will give you four or five additional hours per day with that new battery, as if you need that. Uh, Oh, that's a scary thought. Yeah, that's a scary thought. (laughs) (laughs) That's my tip for today. And what a great point. I mean, essentially, what you're saying is we don't always need the latest and greatest of everything. We ought to really see what the functionality is and is it going to improve the way we use our devices or not and then make a decision based on cost and what functions we're getting. Thanks for the tip. Support for Eyes on Success is provided by Ira, an app that remotely connects people who are blind or have low vision to trained agents for access to visual information. Details are available at 1-800-835-1934. You are listening to Eyes on Success. Success, 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 success. Let's start by meeting Curtis and Scott and learning about some of their adventures and early experiences with advocacy. So today we have two guests with us, one of whom has been on the show before and someone new. Scott, you've been on the show before, but maybe you can remind our listeners who you are and what you do. Sure. Uh, I'm Scott Labar, and I'm president of the National Federation of the Blind of Colorado, And I carry lots of hats and lots of titles, but that one is most relevant to what we're talking about today. On the other show, we talked a lot about my law practice and the kind of work that I do uh, as a lawyer, as a blind lawyer in private practice. And we also have Curtis on the line. Curtis. 
Tell us about yourself. So I'm Curtis Chong, and I have been a long-time uh, technology consultant with the National Federation of the Blind. I'm a member of the National Federation of the Blind. I am now retired, but my specialty and my expertise is in the area of information technology for regular people and non-visual access technology for the blind. And I've done this kind of work for 40 years. So are both of you visually impaired? Curtis Chong, I am totally blind, been blind since birth. And I am as well, uh, although I've been blind since age 10. So I take it the connection between you both is working with the National Federation of the Blind. Yes. Uh, actually, I met Curtis, let's see, in 1986. I was attending my very first NFB uh, convention in Kansas City, Missouri, and uh, Curtis turned out to be a great mentor and friend of mine. So we've been friends for, what is the math there, 33 years or something? 33 years, indeed. <laughs> and Scott and I were among a group of people who went to an amusement park in Shakopee, Minnesota, and attempted to ride a roller coaster type device, and we were denied, the group of us were denied the privilege, and Scott was uh, trapped in the car because they wouldn't start it, and I was over there negotiating with the manager to try to get him to start the write-up. I remember that. <laughs> yeah, what was interesting about that experience is that what the amusement park said is each and every blind person had to be accompanied by a responsible adult. And the definition of responsible adult was anybody over four feet tall and who had vision. And since it was a group of eight or nine of us who were uh, all blind and just in the park by ourselves, they wouldn't let us ride the amusement. So uh, that's uh, certainly a bonding experience we've had. <laughs> that sounds like a real mistake for an organization to deny access to an attorney, especially one who's familiar with all the disability laws and rules. Well, that's true, except at that time, this was so long ago, <laughs> uh, at that time I was in law school. Uh, and so I wasn't quite an attorney yet, but I, I knew enough to be dangerous. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. What a thing. Anyway. Well, if nothing else, you can tell these guys were a whole lot of fun to talk with. And that they don't take no for an answer. Eyes on Success is made possible in part by our corporate partners. Underwriting pairs the impact of targeted marketing with the integrity of community goodwill. Learn more by sending an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. This week's focus topic is voting rights, including both legal and technical aspects. Voting rights is an interesting topic, and it's interesting that the two of you sort of teamed up together, one from the legal aspects and one from the technology side, because they're both pretty important and the technologies have certainly changed. I wonder if one of you can give us an overview of what you'd like to share with our listeners today. Okay, so I'll start with the technology part because for me, this all started in the state of New Mexico where I was living last year uh, because in New Mexico, any voter who wants to vote in the election can request what they call a no-excuse absentee ballot, which is essentially a piece of paper that is mailed to you. You fill it out and you mail it back in. When I discovered this about two or three years ago, because I was having some great difficulty using the accessible equipment at the polling stations in New Mexico, 
I started an effort in that state to make the printed absentee ballot able to be marked using computer technology operated by a blind person at home or wherever they happen to be. And that took us three years to get done in that state. We finally got a law through in the state legislature that required the Secretary of State to make the print absentee ballot accessible to blind voters. And it was through a lot of negotiation, but I was looking at it mostly from the technological perspective because I felt, well, actually I learned about this because um, if you go further back than that, people in Maryland had started this effort way back in 2014. They got a system where the, the voters can request an absentee ballot electronically and mark it on the computer, print it, put it in an envelope and send it in. So I thought it was a great idea for New Mexico, so we did it there. And then when I moved to Colorado, I found out that Colorado was even worse than New Mexico in one respect because we're a vote-by-mail state here, so your ballots all come to you all the time uh, in the mail, whether you make a request or not. And then you have a choice, either mark the print ballot or go to the polls physically and use the accessible voting equipment at the polls, right? So the genesis of this for me was Maryland, where I was not living. But I got this done in New Mexico, and so it occurred to me when we moved here a year ago, my wife and I, that we should try it then. That's how that all started. And Scott, how did you get involved in advocating for voting rights for the visually impaired? I guess from a you know, broader overall perspective, I remember the first time I voted, and that was in 1986 when I was turning 18 years old. And at that time, of course, the only way you really could vote was with some kind of paper ballot. And my mom uh, had to <laughs> fill out my ballot. That had to be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, now, fortunately, you know, she didn't uh, give me any advice or say that I was voting for the wrong person. But I happened to know for a fact that my parents, uh, this last time around in the presidential elections, uh, didn't vote the way that I did. So it would have been an interesting uh, situation if they had to help me uh, during this last presidential election. In any event, uh, as we move forward in time, it became possible to do voting electronically. And once you had the ability to vote electronically, that gave us the opportunity to use uh, text-to-speech uh, technology so that blind people could vote independently and secretly. And most of this came out of uh, the elections of 2000 when we're, there were all the problems in Florida in particular. And as a result, Congress passed the Help America Vote Act. And the National Federation of the Blind at that time insisted upon language in that statute that says any uh, polling place must have an accessible uh, voting machine for people who are blind or otherwise disabled. Uh, so I remember as a result of uh, HAVA, as everybody calls it, uh, in 2006 was the first time that I voted independently and secretly using one of these machines that was enabled with uh, text-to-speech. Uh, in particular, at that time, I voted at the city and county of Denver, and I just remember that day as one of true independence and a sense of freedom because it was the first time in my life that I did not have to rely on a family member or rely on an election judge or somebody to hopefully fill out the ballot as I was directing. 
as Curtis was saying. So in Colorado, we have choices to either vote in person at a polling site. Uh, and at a, every one of those polling sites, there is supposed to be a, a fully accessible machine that the blind and others with disabilities can use. And the other way to vote is via mail ballot. Every single registered voter in this state gets a paper ballot in the mail, and you simply have to fill it out and return it uh, by the time period prescribed. Which is easy if you can see. Exactly. So we wanted to figure out a way to make that process accessible to those of us who are blind. Because let's face it, voting from home on your own time and under your own terms is much more convenient. And that's why so many sighted Coloradans do exactly that. And it's also why, by the way, Colorado has a fairly high a voter turnout, because we try to make it as easy as possible for people to vote in this state. Well, there's two things about doing the ballots from home. First of all, when we're in the election center, if Nancy has to read to me all of the various choices and check boxes, and I have to speak them back, I feel that it takes a long time, and I feel like we're holding up the line. So it's kind of a little embarrassing. The second thing is, there's also a question of privacy. I mean, I feel that people can hear our back and forth and what my answers are and when I'm stopping and not. So it's a lot more convenient doing it at home. So with the advent of the accessible voting machines, why do you think it's so important to be able to vote at home? If you choose to vote at the polls using the, quote, accessible equipment, unquote, you're using a piece of technology as a totally blind person with which you only have a bare minimum of familiarity in order to operate it. And so you don't know how the thing works. You don't know what the different buttons do. Now, with this new system, a blind person who gets on the Internet nowadays knows how to use either a computer or a phone or both to surf the web, right? So you're familiar with your non-visual access technology. You know how to manipulate your stuff. At least that's the theory. And therefore, if you could be presented with a ballot, on the device that you're familiar with and that you are in control of vis-a-vis -vis your computer, your iPhone. It makes logical sense to me to say, let me mark my ballot that way because then I'm in charge of how the ballot gets marked and what gets marked and what answers I say yes to and which ones I say no to. Yeah, that has to make a big difference. We did an episode of Eyes on Success about eight years ago where we went down to our local board of elections and they were demonstrating some of the accessible voting equipment to us. And I'm pretty good with technology. That's kind of my life. They showed me some of this stuff, and it was a nightmare between knowing what buttons to press, the speech synthesizer, you couldn't speed it up and slow it down. It sounded terrible. It was, it was horrible. And I figured, I'm not going to use this. <laughs> but, you know, as you said, if you're familiar with your own technology, your own screen reader that you've been using, that's a lot easier. Right, because the voting machine vendors are experts on voting. What they are not is knowledgeable about how to design and build a non-visual user interface, right? This, yes. uh, this is my big thing. Well, that's tricky. Yeah, So, but, but if you could use a process where uh, you're using whatever screen reader that you're comfortable with, you're using a keyboard that you're comfortable with, you're, you, you know, all you have to learn about the ballot then is how does the web page look, where do I mark yes or no, 
And once you've got all that down, then you have the, the process nailed. And it, in my mind, at least, it seems much more comfortable than for the blind voter who knows how to use technology. I, I realize this shuts out a certain subset of the population, right? I, I, I get that. It's hard to please everybody, right? Yeah, I couldn't think of a, a better way to do this as the first attempt, because obviously, you know, technology will change over the years and things uh, will get better. And of course, there is a theory that says as young people get older, that that wave of technological confidence will migrate to the senior population. You could do a whole episode on how that's not working either. But <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so is this a concept now or is are such systems being used any place? Well, no, no, no. This is more than a concept. It, the technology has already been proven uh, in Maryland, and it's been proven in, uh, I'm talking statewide, it's been proven in New Mexico. And I'm sure there are counties in, for example, California, uh, that enable voters at the local level to do this, where there's not a statewide system. In Colorado, of course, it's going to be a reality because the last piece of information I have from the Secretary of State's office says that they have selected a vendor to work on this so that all of this can be ready by the November election of 2019. Wow. Boy, that is in just a few weeks. If any of us had been living in Denver, which none of us do, we would have been able to do this in the municipal election that happened in May of this year. Because on its own, with no prompting from anybody, except their chief of elections or whatever, Denver put out a big announcement that said, guess what, if you're having trouble with the mail-in ballot or, and you don't want to go to the polls, here's another system that you can use where you can request an electronic ballot, mark it on your computer, print it, and send it in. Wow. Oh, cool. So this voting machine that Pete was talking about that we did a show about um, when we were living in New York State at the time, eight years ago. One of the problems with that machine was that it was trying to be all things to all people. So not only people with visual problems, but any kind of dexterity problem or anything. So, you know, it even had a blow tube. So people who only had that manner of control. Question is, this new system that you're expecting Colorado to implement in time for this year's election, is that also going to help everybody? Yes, unequivocally. The way the system is working, you're going to use your own equipment at home, your computer, which in theory you have already gotten to the point where you're using it with whatever assistive technology you have to use, right? So if you're a low vision person, you're going to use a magnification software like ZoomText. If you're a person who doesn't use a traditional keyboard, you're going to have Dragon or you're going to have eye gaze technology. But those technologies will already be working on your computer. So the only difference here is that what you're doing is you're using your computer to access what we hope will be an accessible website that meets the WCAG 2.1 accessibility guidelines so that everything will work as if you're manipulating any other web page. You, you see what I'm, what I'm getting at? Yeah. And then presumably whoever doesn't have the ability to access this web page themselves with their own technology, they're already relying on an assistant to help them with everything else. And so, you know, that 
small sector of the population has to trust whoever they already trust. Correct. And let me also say that we're not taking away anything that exists at the polls today, right? That was another thing that we wanted to be sure stayed in place. So the polls do have equipment that is supposedly and theoretically accessible to a variety of disabilities. You know, it's not just the blind. The problem, of course, is that accessibility solution has to be provided by the uh, voting machine vendor. But in the case of us using our own computer, in theory, the people providing the assistive technology have the vast amount of experience because they're not voting machine experts, they're accessibility experts, right? Like the people who wrote JAWS or the people who do Dragon or the people who do the eye gaze technology. Um, those people have had years and years of experience building that part of the interface. Yes. Yeah. You know, and, and I, as a totally blind person next year uh, or this year, if they get it in place in time, intend to get the ballot electronically and use JAWS for Windows to mark it. And then the idea will be that once you're done marking the ballot, you will print it out uh, and then put it in the envelope that the state provides you and sign that envelope just like everybody else does and send your ballot uh, in either by mail or you can drop it off at a polling site or, a, or whatever designated locations the Secretary of State has established. So I'm really looking forward to doing this. So you guys have mentioned just a handful of states which either already have or very soon will have this kind of do-it-yourself-at-home accessible method of voting. For the people who live in some of the other states, of which there are many, what advice do you have for them? I'd say do the same thing we did. Uh, you know, we would certainly tell people, get involved with your local affiliate of the National Federation of the Blind, get a bill passed. In some states, you know, you have a choice of either going in person or requesting an absentee ballot. Well, what we would tell people to do is if you're in one of those states, uh, demand that that absentee ballot system is accessible so that you can receive an electronic version of it, mark that ballot with your assistive technology, whatever you use, uh, and be able to mark the ballot, print it out, and send it back in. So I was wondering if there is any nationwide effort to make some of these systems more uniform, or is it really going to be a state-by-state, locale-by-locale thing that just has to come up from the grassroots like that? You know, I thought about that, and I thought, wouldn't it be nice if the federal government or at the federal level we could have a uniform uh, standard? Uh, and I am not aware of anybody that has come up with that idea. The most universal nationwide thing we got was the Help America Vote Act, which was attempting to make the the stuff at the polling locations accessible. So right now there is no nationwide over umbrella effort to try to uh, do this. And I personally think that maybe there should be, but <laughs> I'm not sure where or how that's going to get started. The problem with the idea of a sort of uniform national system is that this is truly an issue of federalism in the sense, even though there are federal laws uh, governing elections, basically the federal law sets kind of the minimum standards and allows states to implement the federal law in whatever manner they wish to. So, for example, here in Colorado, 
we are an all-male ballot state. That is not mandated federally. So the federal government cannot say and tell states you have to have all-male ballots. But what the federal government perhaps could do is say that if you have an all-male system or if you have some kind of absentee ballot system, then you need to make that process, whatever it is, uh, fully accessible. And, and maybe that's something we can do. But until we do that, I think we're going to have to sort of knock this off state by state. Uh, and as Curtis was mentioning earlier, there are only three states that have adopted this now on a statewide basis, Colorado, Maryland, and New Mexico. Well, we'll see how it works. You are listening to Eyes on Success. Success, 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 success. Now for this week's final item, how to learn more about voting rights and how to contact Scott Labar and Curtis Chong. So are there any resources that either of you would like to share for people who do have questions about accessible voting or, you know, sort of nudging their state legislatures to make voting more accessible? So at the national headquarters of the NFB, there is a lady by the name of Luann Blake um, who works on the HAVA, you know, voting accessibility stuff. And she is sort of the national expert. So I would say that if anybody really wants to talk about this um, at the national level, they should call the National Federation of the Blind and talk to Luann Blake because she is the national expert. I'm perfectly happy to talk myself with anybody from anywhere around the country about this issue to advise them from a technical perspective about what is and is not possible to do. And I'm happy to share my phone number and my email address at the appropriate time on this program. Oh, this would be the appropriate time. Okay, so my name is Curtis Chong. My email address is chong, C-H-O-N-G dot Curtis, C-U-R-T-I-S, at gmail.com. And I uh, welcome phone calls to my landline, which is 303-745-0473. This is about the technology of the election process. I don't have or claim to have any knowledge about the legalities of all of this stuff. That would be Mr. Labar's department right there. Okay, Scott, you're on. <laughs> sure. <laughs> People are welcome to call me at 303-504-5979. And my email is S as in Scott, Labar, L-A-B as in baseball, A-R-R-E at Labar, law, L-A-W dot com. And I would also say to folks that you can certainly go to our national website, nfb.org, and find information about voting rights and accessible voting. And you can always consult our Colorado website, nfbco.org. So as usual, if you're looking for any of that contact information, if you want to get in touch with Curtis or Scott, you can go to the show notes at www.eyesonsuccess.net. That's it for show number 1942. Next week on Eyes on Success, we'll be talking about the latest improvements and updates to NFB Newsline. 
NFB Newsline is a free service from the National Federation of the Blind that gives subscribers access to hundreds of national and local magazines and newspapers through a variety of delivery options. We'll speak with Scott White, the director of NFB Newsline, about how you can now access this valuable service using your smart home device. If you have any questions regarding something you've heard about on the show, or you'd like to share an idea for a future show, send an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. You've been listening to Eyes on Success, hosted and produced by Nancy Goodman Torpy and Peter Torpy and distributed by WXXI Reach Out Radio. Browse the full archive of programs, find instructions for subscribing to the podcasts, and much more at www.eyesonsuccess.net. You can also find us on iTunes and follow us on Facebook at Eyes on Success or Twitter at underscore Eyes on Success. We hope you will join us again next week for more information and updates on products for accessible living. Thanks for listening to Eyes on Success and have a nice day.